This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today focuses on Matthew 21, 1 through 11, Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Together, we will be discussing the humility of Christ and his call to slow down and follow him. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back again with you this week to continue our journey through Matthew. Uh, as a quick reminder, last week uh, we worked through Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34, which examined Jesus's healing of the two blind men. Um, and we discussed our responsibility to slow down and see the needs of others around us as a result of this passage. This week, as we move on into Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11, uh, we're going to be looking at Jesus's triumphal entrance into Jerusalem, which is appropriate as it is Holy Week, and this past Sunday was in fact Palm Sunday. So this week, I believe we have Brittany reading for us. So Brittany, would you read Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11 to get us started? Yes. Matthew 21. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, The Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the colt, brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. All right. Thank you for that, Brittany. Um, and I guess to get us started, uh, I had the privilege of sitting with the, the, the children on Sunday, and so I wasn't uh, privy to a lot of the conversation that was happening around uh, the rest of the room, but um, I had the opportunity of doing the children's bulletin with the kids, and as we worked through this story, there was something that, that really grabbed my attention, and it's at the beginning here um, where Jesus asks two of his disciples to go and do something that really is kind of crazy in, in my mind. Uh, as, as we were talking and trying to bring it into today, the kids kind of said, you know, it would be like Jesus telling the two disciples to go up to somebody they've never met before and tell them that they needed their car. And then that they would return it later, but they needed they needed the car, and so they were going to take it. Um, and <clears throat> when I think about it like that, I I thought, man, that's just that's crazy, like that's absolutely nuts. I, I if I was asked to go and ask for somebody's car, 
I, it would be overwhelming, um, because it's awkward and I shouldn't be asking for somebody's car is kind of the mentality that I would have. And it's just, it's a crazy ask. Um, and so I, I guess when I think about what these disciples, the place these disciples were put in, Jesus was asking them to do something that made them extreme, probably made them extremely uncomfortable. That's not necessarily said here, but more than likely this ask made them extremely uncomfortable. And even in that situation, what we see is they are obedient and and they trust in what Jesus is saying. And because they believe who Jesus is and they believe in his authority, they go expecting that they're going to find exactly what he says and what he says will result will in fact result. Um, And so with this big ask where they're put in an uncomfortable situation, they still follow through because of the, the trust and the faith that they have in Jesus. And that is in fact what happens. I think that this is really important because Jesus still speaks to us today. He's, he's constantly calling us to partner with him in his mission to bring the kingdom here. And so we're, we're really on a regular basis being put into similar situations where Jesus is asking us to do something. Probably oftentimes it's something that might put us in an uncomfortable situation, might be kind of awkward. You're, you're really having to rely on the fact that one, you heard Jesus right Mm -hmm. and believe that he said what you thought you heard him say, and then act on that in confidence and belief, knowing that he will do what it is that he's saying he will do. And so I just, I feel like when I think about that, we, we, we talked about this a little bit at the teen group. So uh, I guess the kids were having a similar conversation and in the teen group, we, we equated it to if Jesus asked you, stopped you at lunch and asked you to go into your English teacher's classroom and pray with them, would you do it? And I think we can fast forward that and we can you know, progress in life a little bit. Most of our listeners are, are adults. And so you know, if Jesus said, hey, there is somebody stocking the shelves across the grocery store and I need you to go pray with them, would you do it? Or if Jesus tells you to go to a particular destination to say something to a particular person, are you going to do that? Or is that going to seem, oh, that's really bizarre. Like, I'm going to be late for a meeting. You know, come up with every excuse to avoid doing what it is that Jesus is asking you to do. And so uh, I think about it in my own context. Like, I've had moments where I feel like Jesus is telling me, like, a promise for somebody. You know, so they're sharing something that they need or something that they feel. And in that moment, as I'm, you know, doing my vertizontal living, listening to Jesus and listening to them and taking what they say to Jesus and and having a conversation with him about what they're saying while, while the conversation is going on, he'll say things to me like, well, you should tell them that this house is going to have kids in it. And you should believe me for that. And I'm like, I don't know, Jesus, like that seems like that seems a little bit ridiculous. And so I'm having this conversation in my head. And so the question becomes, well, am I going to be obedient 
Because who knows? Maybe that person sees and hears my faith in what Jesus has said, and then they see Jesus's hand at work in a way that they've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And so I just think um, there's lots of opportunities like this, and we need to be ready to take them, and we need to be willing to look foolish and to be uncomfortable for the sake of whatever it is that Jesus is doing. Because coming back to this story, the disciples' willingness to potentially look foolish resulted in Jesus entering Jerusalem. Like that was the vessel that was used for Jesus to enter Jerusalem, which is symbolic and representative of this like entering of the kingdom and recognition of, of Christ as King, right? As he's coming in. Um, and, and so when we take the risk of looking foolish, we run the likelihood of participating in the ushering in of the kingdom of heaven in just one more way. And, and what it, an opportunity. Yeah, I think that's so consistent, too, with what we see in our own experiences. I mean, usually the times that we see Jesus do the most incredible works is when people have been kind of at the end of themselves. There's nothing else to do but rely on him and trust him. And so you just jump and you you believe that he's going to take care of it. And so I think this is a moment of jumping. And it seems silly, you know, well, of course we could trust him for that. But in the moment, it gets really tough. I think that something else that, that sticks out to me that we can take from this is that in this command, that Jesus is establishing himself as the king because a king or a rabbi could requisition things, could could from people that are mm. subjects or common people, they could say, hey, look, I need this. And so they they would have no problem being able to get it. And so it's just another way of Jesus being able to establish himself as the king. And so for the disciples, even as crazy as it was, it would also help affirm in them who he really is. Do they believe him as king? Right. And do do other people? Right. And so by stepping out in faith and going to get it, they it's almost as them finally getting to that place of really beginning to understand like the light is like they have affirmation. Right. Yeah. That and so they're they're going out in in faith that he is who he says he is. So I think the next uh, as we kind of move into to this discussion about the prophecy. I think that, again, it's important to note the kind of how Jesus comes in and enters, and he's gentle, he's humble. Um, is that, is, Brittany, that was what your translation said? Mm-hmm. He yeah. is humble. He's humble. And so I think this goes back to Jesus. He's been talking all along about the kind of king that he's going to be, how mm-hmm. he's going to be the servant king. And now here he is modeling this as he enters into the heart of his kingdom, into the city of David. And and to that, like the donkey would have been seen as as something that would be more of a, a peaceful like interaction as opposed to a horse where you're thinking it's like I'm going I'm going to war. You're not going to war on a donkey. You're not. <laughs> I'm not going to war on a donkey or a horse. But for them, they <laughs> for them they were they were expecting this conquering king, and so for him to come in a, in a donkey, it, it's another like you know affirmation that 
his kingdom is is different. He's not coming to fight a political battle. He's coming to win a war that their soul needs. And so he's coming peacefully and, and humbly. So it further iterates what he's been saying all along that the first will be last and the last will be first in his upside down kingdom, like you were talking about. I uh I read somewhere and I, it is escaping me where I read it. Um but it was talking about this uh, coming to the coming to Jerusalem during this time, specifically as there are people journeying to Jerusalem for Passover. There was a lot of people that were coming, and there were like these rock stars of the time that would be coming in, so fa- famous warriors or um, important politicians or um high ranking uh religious officials and, and they would enter in certain ways to announce their entrance entrance uh, riding horses with bands in front of them and behind them and um people would intentionally be looking for these to come cuz cuz these were people to be excited about like it, it would be like uh we talked about we talked about Aladdin with the teens. Oh. And so like entering it on an elephant. Be like and, Aladdin. Yes, and he's throwing out all sorts of cool stuff. And and so like these people come in with all the pomp and circumstance and the crowds just love it. They eat it up. It, it's it would be much like some kind of like red carpet affair today where people are just so excited when movie stars come out and and then Jesus with the opportunity to be a rock star in that day jumps on a donkey and comes in and like you guys have been saying just really continues to drive home this idea that he has been communicating all along that my kingdom is just a different kingdom and i know there's a whole lot of other people that are entering a different way and you guys would expect the messiah to be entering probably more like that but this is how i roll somebody at our our table mentioned that a donkey is a, a beast of burden. Yes. And and so she was talking about that and thinking of it from one perspective. But as she talked, I was thinking like it can carry a lot of weight. Like Jesus in, in all reality at this time is carrying a lot of weight. He's taking all of our sin and shame and getting ready to bear it on the cross. And so, you know, it really truly was a beast of burden because he was preparing to carry the weight of the world upon him. So I I think that even to the very animal, like God knew exactly what he was doing. And so um, the, the most like awkward, one of the most awkward animals, but it's so useful because if you need something like taken, like somebody was talking about, like uh, you talking about the grand Canyon and like how they use Mm -hmm, them like mm -hmm. there. And so, like, and the amount of, like, load that they can carry. And I think that it's very befitting that, that Jesus is riding on a donkey as he's preparing to, you know, bear our sin and shame. You saying that that donkeys are beasts of burden, a, a thought came into my mind that when you compare and contrast, like, a horse to a donkey, like, horses are used in military, they're fast, they're flashy, they're showy. And then donkeys are kind of the opposite of that. And 
Jesus is one is among us as one who serves. And so being a beast of burden, it is it's unassuming. It doesn't get a bunch of attention. It's not something that's that's even calling for attention. It is one though that faithfully serves. When it's called upon, it does the task that's necessary. It it carries the heavy burdens. It does the jobs that aren't glamorous. And that is the kind of king and the kind of kingdom and the kind of servanthood that Jesus was establishing all along. I know it's not in Matthew's gospel, but in in John, in a moment, you're you would like in a moment in in the process of Holy Week, you'll get to the Last Supper and you know Jesus bends down and washes the feet of his disciples in this ultimate sign of service. And you, you see that even played out, like you said, in the very animals that were used in entering Jerusalem here to, to initiate this final week of his ministry. It's an animal of service, just like Jesus is, is a man of service. And that is what he has called each of us to be, our people of service. And so regardless of what we look like or regardless of our pedigree, we are to be a people of service. So really, as, as ridiculous as it sounds, like, are you a donkey or are you a horse? And I know that sounds really, like, ridiculous, but, um, like, if we're trying to be, in, like, if we're trying to be the flashy horse, we've kind of missed who God's called us to be. And so, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's God is so good at, at, like, drawing all this out where he uses something that most people would not discount, but not see as, like, you're not charging your enemy on a donkey. Mm. And and Jesus isn't trying to charge an enemy because he has love for everybody. So I don't know. I think that it's, it's a, a great, God's just so good at, at drawing it all out. And even though, you know, this is all true about Jesus's kingdom and the way he's doing things and, and how things are different than the way a normal king would enter, um, the people still recognize something rather significant about him in the way that they receive him. Yeah, and so if you look in verse 7, it talks about Jesus sitting on the donkey and I find that interesting because it it's like a, a like a reference point for the people um, because a king is noted in that time as taking the posture of sitting. And so it doesn't talk about him riding on the donkey. It, t- it talks about his posture as sitting on the donkey. And what they would do following that was, was just to further affirm by the laying of the cloaks and, and the putting of the branches down. Like all those are symbols of things that they would have done for someone who's in royalty for a king in that position. And so they're maybe haven't quite recognized him yet in those words from their mouth. They're recognizing him as such with their action. Well, I mean, so yeah, their action affirms that, but shortly thereafter their mouth does as well in a sense. I mean, they, they proclaim Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest heaven. So the people are proclaiming this this truth, this reality that Jesus is the one in the line of David, 
the one that they have been looking for, the Messiah, essentially, right? And and so with that idea, that recognition of Messiah being in the line of David means that he is, in fact, a king. And so not only are they recognizing his kingship with their actions, like you pointed out, Derek, but they go on to proclaim his kingship with their words um, and then even go further uh, in verse uh, 11 when the the crowds answer, right? It says the city was stirred, this is verse 10, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And so something there that, that uh hit me as, as I was working with the kids as well, was this idea that he's been identified as king, which has authority, like um, in, on earth, when we see somebody as king, we on earth recognize that as a position of authority. So kingship carries with it this earthly authority. But then for the, the crowds to recognize that Jesus is not just king, but he is prophet, now it's not just earthly authority that Jesus is walking in, but it's actually divine authority that he is walking in because as a prophet, he speaks the words, right? The very words of God. And so his rule, his authority is not just something that is established by mankind. It is something that has been established and validated by God. Which is interesting because, so the crowds here are recognizing Jesus's divine authority. And we, we've struggled to establish Jesus's divine authority throughout this. He's constantly being questioned by Pharisees and church leaders and, and people of influence. Mm -hmm. And in just a little bit here, we're going to, in this, this chapter, so in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a conversation about his authority even further and how the Pharisees are asking him, they actually come to him and ask him by what authority are you doing these things? And this has already been identified by the masses. And so it begs the question of how, how blind do we have to be to miss what everyone else seems to see? I think another thing too, with regards to the crowds, and this was touched on a little bit, at our table as well with the youth is these crowds are about to go. And I'm, I'm assuming that some of these crowds, some of the members of the, this crowd are the same people who are going to chant and shout, crucify him. Right. right. And so here they are on Sunday declaring his div divine authority. And less than a week later, they'll be shouting, crucify him. And so it's a, there's gotta be a, a, a huge shift that occurs in, in people's perception of him. And it may be this conversation of him entering as this humble, gentle King. And it's not the King they're looking for. It's not the King they're expecting. Well, it's not the King they want. It's not the King they want. Honest. We want Roman oppression to go away. Right. We're done with it. And so, um, I don't know. And then, and then I guess I wonder if maybe the crowds were thinking, 
oh no, well, we must have misidentified because they're influenced by the church leaders. Mm. And I think that's a concerning thing too, because if you're in a role as a teacher, um, as a pastor, as really anybody of influence, spiritual influence over anyone, what you say and think matters. So you better make sure the things that are coming out of your mouth are or have divine authority. Hmm. And so I think, and the implications of that we, we see, we, we crucify God. You, you talked about blindness, and so like it makes me think of, of last week and where Jesus just comes out of this, this heart of compassion for the two blind men, and I mentioned this on Sunday, but it's really like an extension of that because Jesus is taking this ride of compassion to not only heal the physically blind, but to heal the spiritually blind, and even as people like kind of get it and then they go back to this place of like, well, you know, they've been influenced by those in authority. Um, he, he recognizes that there are going to be those who are swayed. And yet, despite that, like his objective, his mission doesn't change that he, he, he came and he healed the physically blind, but what he wants to do is restore Israel in a way that they can't fully understand. Like, it seems like there's like the, the light bulbs are going off, but like, I don't know, like they can't completely connect the dots yet. And so he's coming to do what they, they don't really see as restoration because they want that, that like King on the horse charging into battle to take, you know, to take back what they've lost, but he is coming to restore and take back what's been lost in a way they can't understand yet. Well, and ironically, they're, chanting Hosanna, right? They're chanting, save us, save us. Praise be to the King essentially that saves us and he's going to save them. But as you said, Derek, not in a way that they're hoping for, at least not yet. It it just, you know, they, they haven't fully recognized what he's come to do. As I think about that, um, this, conversation of you know Jesus coming in on a donkey which is not what you would expect of a king this conversation of you know the the blindness of the the Pharisees and the religious officials and I wonder how often we miss what God is doing because it doesn't fit our conceptions of the way God should be working because it doesn't fit the narrative that we have. It doesn't fit our expectations of, of how he should operate. It doesn't fit the, the cover doesn't match what we think the story should be. How often do we miss what God is doing? Because our expectations are wrong. And then even further, how often do we, kind of going back to what you were saying, Natasha, how often do we mislead people because of our wrong expectations, our wrong understandings, assumptions, conceptions? 
And we don't have to be in a place of like positional authority within a church to, to have that impact. I mean, just by being a parent or a friend, uh, you're, you're in a position of influence. Mm. You're, you're continually making disciples and it's just a matter of what kind of disciple you're making. Do they look like you or do they look like Jesus? And so here we are midway through Holy Week, having just come off of Palm Sunday, following this conversation on, you know, Jesus doing things different than how anybody expected them to do them. And I find myself in a place where I... I'm going to speak specifically within the context of the church because that's where I'm operating. Um, but maybe it can we can apply it other places. And I, I wonder, where have we missed it? And the thing that comes to my mind is within the church, we have come to a place... Uh, and this isn't saying pastors, just within the church in general. So whether you're a con- like somebody who attends church, a leader in church, a, a lay person, whatever. Um, we have come to a place where we recognize that church looks like this. This is what it looks like to, to worship. This is what it looks like to be discipled. This is what it looks like to participate in the life of the church. And when something comes along that doesn't fit that mold, the same questions that Jesus was asked are the questions that are asked of that thing. Where are you getting these ideas from? What makes you think that this is the direction that things should be going? And I just wonder, how have I participated in that? I think a fair follow-up would would be, like, are we doing things because God has asked us to do them? Are we doing things because that's what the people want? Hmm. Because, like, today I, I, I was listening to this thing that talked about we don't do, like— there's not a seeker sensitive because if there was a seeker sensitive, they would be seeking God. But we have, we, what we've created is carnal sensitive. And so we've created carnal sensitive for the things that we want, like short services and catchy music and fog machines and lights and all those things that people want. Um, But really the question should be like, are we doing it because God has asked us or told us to do it? Are we doing it because that's what the people want? I think it's a fair question because I think we could all say that we've fallen into that trap of doing things because that's what the people want because, you know, we got to, and and then when we do something, then it's like, well, I got to top what I did before because if I don't, then people won't want to be a part. And really when people want to be a part, it's because God's doing something because we can't create that. Like we can't create that 
that intimate relationship. Like I can't create that with another person. I can't create that for another person. But what I can do is point them to the one who desires to have a relationship with them. And I can try to help disciple them and I can try to keep pointing them in the right direction. But the Holy Spirit's the one that's going to like grab a hold of them and bring them to this place that I can't do on my own, that we can't do on our own, that the church can't do on its own. Like, And if we throw too many distractions in their way, like you're talking about, then they come for those distractions. They're not coming for Jesus. And that puts the church in a really, really difficult place. We become like the Pharisees because now we got to keep the crowds happy. So we're, we're scared about how we answer or what our next move is because we got to keep the crowds happy. Well, and when you peel all that stuff back, that makes you like that you have to be vulnerable. There's like nothing left. And so we don't want to peel all those things back because then you might know me like God knows me. And then you may not like me. And so we're so worried about what other people think that we're, we're too scared to like peel it back where we're bare before God and before man. Because it's uncomfortable, which, I mean, even in our own context, I think we could say that, like, peeling back and just trying to focus on Jesus makes people a little uncomfortable. And yet, I've seen God do some amazing things when things have just been stripped back where we don't try to... not saying that we have it perfect, so, like... Please, as you listen, don't misunderstand. I don't think we have it perfect. But we have tried to remove some of the distractions where it's just God speaking, us listening, and trying to respond. When I think it's a it's a weekly challenge, right? Like every every week, every next action, every next move, every next plan, it has to be so bathed in prayer that every idea that's implemented really does come from Jesus. It's not done because, well, we've always done it. It's not done because, well, this is what good marketing does. It's done because this is something that Jesus wants. It's easy. It's easy to do things because, well, that's the way they're done. And that's the way, you know, things show that they've been best done. But we're not living in that kingdom. And so maybe this Holy Week, this in response to this conversation on Palm Sunday, we're being invited to slow down, which has been something that has been talked about for the past couple of weeks at our church. But we're being invited to slow down and take notice. Take notice of of what's going on around us so we don't miss what Jesus is doing. Because if Jesus still works in a similar way to what we see here in this story, it'll be easy to miss because it's not going to be something that we're looking for. Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.